why can't we fund uh, a nurse practitioner or a nurse in a residential aged care facility to be that contact person for the patient in the residential aged care facility that is connected with a remote clinician, be that an allied health provider, you know, a psychologist, uh, a podiatrist or whatever the, the person needs or their GP and be that person that, that actually looks after the care for that person on the ground. If they were to get reimbursed for, by Medicare for doing that, that service, suddenly the residential aged care facilities would see a, a, a business case, a use case for doing this. Silver Adventures is a content and technology company dedicated to improving the lives of older adults through immersive virtual reality experiences. And this podcast is our opportunity to hear from industry experts, thought leaders, and passionate individuals to share with you their knowledge, expertise, and experiences. Welcome to the Aged Care Enrichment Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the show. My name is Ashton Eve. Today, we're looking at telehealth and how despite its widespread adoption in society throughout the pandemic, it hasn't been embraced as much in residential aged care. Our guest today is Sylvia Pfeiffer from Coview, that's C-O-V-I-U, which is an online telehealth platform that provides specialists with clinical tools to expand the capabilities of traditional telehealth. Sylvia helps us understand not only how telehealth is being used, but also some of the core challenges to its uptake in residential aged care and what might make the difference. Now, if you haven't been listening to our new show, Who Cares? You've been missing out. But you can join the fun with Maury and Daniela every Friday as they dig into the ideas covered in this episode and others. You can find Who Cares? episodes in the normal Ace podcast feed. But for now, I hope you enjoy the conversation on telehealth with Sylvia Pfeiffer. Sylvia, thanks so much for joining us on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. And uh, you're calling in from sunny Sydney today. This is a bit of a rarity, you're saying. I'm sure listeners in Sydney will know it's been rather wet up there recently. We're a bit desperate for sunshine here, yes. This summer has been very unusual. Uh, I believe Melbourne has seen more sunshine than Sydney. How unusual is that? Well, we're not going um, to let you forget that down in Melbourne. <laughs> I'll, I'll be gloating to everybody up in Sydney about that very shortly. Go for it. It's totally uh, the truth this year. <laughs> nice. Hey, uh, our listeners might not know who you are and they might hear the faintest tinge of an accent as well. Could you maybe give us a bit of your background and, and uh, yeah, who are you? Thanks for the opportunity to introduce myself. So I'm Sylvia Pfeiffer. I'm the CEO of Coview and I, uh, I originally come from Germany. That's the accent that you're mm -hmm. hearing. It is what it is. Uh, I can't get rid of it anymore. I'm too old for that, but that's what happens. I'm sure in the residential aged care facilities, they understand that there's a large number of international people in those facilities as well. Uh, but certainly I've been around for a while. I came in 1999, just before the turn of the century, and I worked for the CSIRO on video analysis and you know anything to do with video really to uh, uh, help prepare us for the new century and as it turned out you know the 20th century is the century of video everything happens with video and mm. audio we're we're all continuously on zoom we're uh, we're watching videos on youtube etc so all of that wasn't the case when i came to australia I was very much in its infancy and the research i did at csro went into that direction so i actually created 
Coview, the telehealth company, the telehealth company that we're talking about today, as a spin-out from the CSRO in 2018. And 2018 was a very good time to create a new telehealth company just two years before the <laughs> yeah, pandemic. That... So great timing. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So, I mean, that, that leads me to, to something I've been wondering about telehealth. So it did exist prior to COVID. It just wasn't in, in people's minds. Is, is that right? You could call it that. I suppose it was in uh, the minds of uh, rural and remote Australia, very much so, because you know, we have uh, great facilities like uh, the Royal Flying Doctor Service to reach uh, people in rural and remote areas. But what do people do that don't have anything urgent, that have chronic illnesses, that need to see a rheumatologist and other such things? What do they do? And uh, mental health has been a big use case for rural and remote for a while. So before the pandemic, the reimbursement from Medicare the main ones that were targeting rural and remote were in mental health. It was called Better Access, mm -hmm. Plan of Better Access, and that, that helped uh, people in rural and remote areas getting access to, to mental health providers. And then as the pandemic hit and they expanded the Medicare items to all care facilities, to GPs, mental health, allied health specialists, suddenly it became something that was a lot more prevalent and, and urban people in, in living in urban areas suddenly realized that there is this thing called telehealth. Mm -hmm. And you're quite right, before the pandemic, I would tell people that we have a telehealth platform and they go, uh, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now nobody asks that question anymore. Everybody knows it. Yeah, wow. So was it the case that there were any sort of clinics or clinical environments in urban environments that would have telehealth before the pandemic? Or was it just it wasn't really needed at all? So nobody was really interested? So um, there's two aspects to it. There's the, the need. And then there's the, uh, the business model around it. So the mm. basically, do you get reimbursements? And there was two areas other than the uh, mental health, there was also a specialist support. So which was called dual care, which means that a rural GP would be able to bring a, a, a specialist and they're typically in the urban centers because there just isn't enough of a population for them to, to, to provide their services in rural areas. So mm. you, you'll find your specialists in, in, in urban areas and the specialist, let's say, uh, a, neuro, a neurologist or, or a, a surgeon of some sort, they would come in and hold a consultation with the GP mm -hmm. practice, with the patient sitting with the GP. So uh, it's called dual care because the patient would get care from two clinicians at the same time. And so that was the other aspect that was getting reimbursed at the time. Both of those facilities, mental health and specialist care, were also accessible for people in, in residential aged care facilities or at home. So that was important because we also have a lot of rural uh, and remote residential aged care facilities mm. that are finding it hard to get access to care. So from that aspect, telehealth was already there, but the pandemic just made it something that everyone understood and that everyone embraced and everyone's asking for now. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you'd be hard pressed to find someone who hasn't had a telehealth appointment in the last few years. What, do, what does Coview do and, and how is it different from the unnamed video platform that we're speaking on today? <laughs> I'm happy to speak about other options. Uh, so Coview is a spin out from the CSR Rogue. And what we do is we provide a software platform, very much like your Zoom, your Skype, your FaceTime or, and whatever else people go to, except we're clinically focused. So we're really focused around providing the clinicians the functionality that they need. 
be that bookings, be that reminders, be that acceptance of clinical consent. So consent by the patients that they, they're wanting to get their care in this way and form. And then when you actually are in a video consultation, we also give the clinicians clinical tools. And what I mean by clinical tools is functionality that helps them to diagnose patients, to triage and diagnose patients, mm. but also helps them to do actually therapy. That includes things like standardized assessments in mental health. Uh, you might have heard of the DAS21. We would include these tools right in the video call. And for therapy, let's say you are in a physical therapy environment post orthopedic surgery, we would calculate the range of motion around joints in the body and thus help patients and clinicians communicate around the progress that a patient is making. Let's say they had a total knee surgery and their knee is slowly improving mm. and the clinician is inspecting that from afar over a video call. They can't really do a good assessment of, of the range of motion unless uh, we provide them the tools for it. So that's the kind of functionality that we, we provide and which makes our platform a clinical platform and not a standard corporate video conferencing solution. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to you said that you're focusing on the clinician there, but you can see the benefits for the patient if just taking that example of assessing the range of motion. It, I think I've seen, seen an example, it's measuring the degree of motion, right? And that is that yes. some sort of AI tracking is, is watching the amount it's moving? Yeah. What we do, absolutely, it's artificial intelligence. It's a tool that we've developed in conjunction with research scientists across West Australian, uh, University of West Australia, and actual artificial intelligence researchers at the CSIRO. And the tool that we've developed analyzes your body when you're on a video call. It identifies your skeleton. Mm -hmm. So it gets all the, the key points and the joints in your body. It identifies that. And then it identifies where you're doing the exercises. So if you're doing an exercise around your arm or around your knee, it finds that. And then it calculates the range of motion, the angle, as you're saying, the angle around around the joint and communicates that to the clinician. Mm. Well, that's amazing. That, that really opens up the possibilities of what can be done over telehealth. Yeah, it's huge. And just the range of motion is actually used in a lot of aspects, particularly also in aged care. It's used to identify the flexibility of a senior. So, for example, for the assessment of which um, classification or flexibility they're still in and then which package of support they can get from the from the government. That is one of the uh, indicators that are being used. Then it's obviously great for uh, physical therapy, for recovery, post orthopedic surgery. It's good for exercise physiology and when you're trying to become a little bit more flexible. Rheumatology, there's so many use cases for just this one tool and we're providing it to clinicians so that they can better assess patients. Mm. So, so what is lost in the, in the telehealth process? What can't you get no matter how good we get it at these technological developments? Mm. It's a very good question. I suppose people are used to this direct contact that they have mm. when they're in a room with a person. So a clinician would typically already analyze a patient the minute that they walk through the door. So the door opens, patients walks in, clinician already an starts analyzing the patient. And by the time we sit down, they already have a certain uh, experience or analysis done of what might be wrong with us. Mm. That part is kind of missing because typically a video call is already started sitting down. 
but from there on everything is possible you know you can see you can see the patient you can ask them to turn you can ask them to do exercises you can ask them to do anything that you would be able to do in a call and another thing is actually really important which a video call gives you that a in-person consultation doesn't give you it's the um the room context or the family context of the person that you're speaking with. This one is particularly important in mental health Mm -hmm. because a lot of it is determined by the environment of the patient. And we've talked to a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists that say when they're on a video call with the patient and they can see the background, they actually get vital information for analyzing the illness of the patient that they wouldn't get if that patient just walked through their clinic door. Mm, so it's very different so there's advantages and disadvantages and i wouldn't say that one is better than the other i just i would actually say they're both useful and it depends on the situation of the patient and the clinician which one is the best to use Mm. well I, i can see that in the case of residential aged care especially for facilities that are finding it hard to have regular visits from specialists or even just general practitioners, having telehealth might be a nice way to offer regular services. How does the technological barrier go down in, in aged care and how is it facilitated? Is, are there staff members who, who assist with this? Is it patient directed? What does that look like on your end? That is exactly the, the key uh, challenge that aged care faces. So we all know we've just gone through the Royal Commission of H- in, in aged care uh, and there's been an identification that care in residential aged care facilities is very limited and that there is a need to improve it, to get more clinicians to come to, to, to the facilities. There was also an appreciation in the report that not all residential aged care facilities can be reached easily by a clinician and a suggestion of more use of telehealth. Now, unfortunately, nobody's gone the next step. What implications does that have for the residential aged care facility? And what do the residential aged care facilities have to do to enable and facilitate such consultations? Because you're, you're quite right. Putting a patient in front of a video camera, having them meet with a specialist uh, or an allied health provider or their normal GP is absolutely possible. Now, the elderly person often has problems with technology. So who's going to set up the technology? Who's going to take them to that call? Who's going to make sure that everything that is being discussed with the clinician is somehow being taken care of, is is being noted down and being recognized by the residential aged care facility as a follow-up that they have to do with that person? Who is doing all those things? So there's been a recommendation to do more telehealth, but there's not been any funding to go towards it. Most of the funding that the government has put towards residential aged care facilities is around systems, you know, buy more systems, buy more technology, build a a case management system, introduce a case management system, which I'm totally on board with, is absolutely what what needs to be done, but it can't stop there. We also need to enable the the clinicians to, to be supported by the people on the ground there to receive that care, be that in person or via video. There is a need for reimbursements. Mm-hmm. I, I, I guess I explained the dual care to you before, which happens with specialists and GPs for rural areas. Why can't we do the same thing in residential aged care with every, any kind of clinician? Why can't we fund uh, a nurse practitioner or a nurse in a residential aged care facility to be that contact person for the patient in the residential aged care facility that is 
connected with a remote clinician, be that an allied health provider, you know, a psychologist, uh, a podiatrist, or whatever the, the person needs, or their GP, and be that person that, that actually looks after the care for that person on the ground. If they were to get reimbursed for, by Medicare for doing that, that service, suddenly the residential aged care facilities would see a, a, a business case, a use case for doing this. Mm. They can't just ask all their nurses, their existing nurses who are already swamped with enough to do. They're running around all day long doing work to do this extra piece of work. So it needs some funding to do that. That's my real concern about where the outcomes of the Royal Commission are going. There's a big statement about, you know, doing more telehealth, but there's not been the right action behind it. Hey, did you know we launched a new show this season? Hello, I'm here with Daniela Greenwood. And I'm here with Maury Voicey-Barlin. That's right, Daniela and Maury are back and they're joining us every Friday for their new show, Who Cares? Where they'll be taking a quizzical look at some of aged care's challenges and exploring what they mean for all of us working in the industry. I'm really stumped by how what the resolution is here because I think there's a lot to dig into. You would have been better working at McDonald's, Murray, because I they've got a good set. I could have been somebody, Daniela. <laughs> I could have been somebody. You are a somebody, Murray. You and the more I learn about you, you're an amazing oh, somebody. Oh, thank you. I think the same. It's a double dose of podcast fun each week, and you can find it right here in the Ace Feed every Friday. You're going to be the new Minister of Ageing if it's the last thing I do. Yeah, well, that, that sounds like a lot of the conversations we've had about the findings of the Royal Commission is a, a lot of fanfare, but not a whole lot of follow-up there. <laughs> but it, it sounds like there is, you know, there's infrastructure and there's technology that can make these things possible and really ease the burden and lift the quality of care, but maybe not the right follow-through to, to support those in the best way. I think uh, they're doing... the the right thing on technology. I have nothing against supporting technology and, and actually making things more efficient, better documented, etc. But you can't stop there. You have to actually take the next step with the clinicians and the staff as well. So it's the local staffing, it's the reimbursements for the people that come in to deliver care, particularly allied health providers. I don't think there has been much talk about allied health providers funding for residential aged care facilities at all. And they're, they're everywhere. They're really the ones that make it possible for, the, for, for, for chronically ill patients to, to live. You know, that goes from exercise physiology, physical therapy, dietetics, speech pathology, particularly for swallowing disorders, therapists for dementia, psychologists, uh, depression and anxiety, optometrists and audiology, like they're all allied health providers that are very important in residential aged care. And there's not much done to actually fund them to provide services into residential aged care facilities. Mm. And my understanding, and I don't have all the background on this, but speaking to a friend who is a physiotherapist in an aged care facility, he was saying that the funding changes that are about to come up are going to adjust and impact the number of hours and the amount of support that allied health professionals are going to receive to keep delivering their services. That seems like a whole other podcast we can talk about because there's, there's a lot to dig Absolutely. into there. I'm wondering, do you have any, any facilities, any aged care facilities that are using your solution? And, and if so, how are they using it? Yes, there are some. We are actually the software provider for HealthDirect and HealthDirect is uh, the platform that the government has introduced for GPs to be used for free. So if a GP wants to use a telehealth platform, they can just go to their PHN, ask for access to the free HealthDirect platform and suddenly they have a free 
platform that they can use with their patients, no payment associated at all. On the other side, Health Direct is also working with the states. So states and territories, particularly with Victoria, West Australia, South Australia, Northern Territory and the ACT around deploying video telehealth into state owned facilities. That includes public hospitals particularly, but, but some other entities as well. And through the combination between the PHNs supporting local residential aged care facilities and the GPs being on that platform, there have actually been some use cases where the GPs were introduced into residential aged care facilities through the HealthDirect platform. There are a number of case studies in different PHNs and it's worked really quite well. There are, you know, workflows being design, defined and a need for a local telehealth coordinator in the residential aged care facilities. As long as there's a person that feels responsible for organizing this for the residents, the GPs are quite happy to provide telehealth into these facilities. So it's, it's happening. It's very low usage still compared to what some other countries are doing, mm. but it's starting to happen and it's, it's really helping residential aged care facilities in rural and remote areas the most. Yeah, that's great. You know, some of the challenges that the aged care residents might encounter when using telehealth services might be things like dementia and, and cognitive impairment and not just in their ability to, or the familiarity with technology, but also communicating verbally or receiving verbal information. Do you have any sort of any information or advice for people who are supporting older adults through their telehealth appointments? Yeah, it's a very good question. You're quite right that some older people have trouble communicating and a lot of them, if they still live at home, would have a family member uh, go with them and that would be the intermediator for their communication with the specialists or, or other clinicians. In residential aged care facilities, I can only see the nurse fulfilling that role. Uh, mm. The nurse is really pivotal to making sure that the patients get what they need and, and, and are understood. They, more than anybody else, will actually see how a patient is evolving and how they're dealing with certain illnesses, etc. Uh, we can, for example, talk about uh, wound care. I know that wound care is one of those things that uh, the uh, Royal Commission has also identified that where we fall down quite badly in Australia. I don't know if you know this, but there's only very few real wound care experts in Australia. It's not hundreds, it's less than 100 wound care experts around Australia and they are mm. highly seeked for advice. And oftentimes when you have a resident in a uh, aged care facility and they have a, a wound that is really slowly closing or even getting worse these wounds are it's it's a highly specialized field of really identifying what the wound is how it's developing and what can best be done to to help it heal and gps with the way that they have been educated don't usually have the uh, have been equipped with this kind of knowledge some of them have obviously learned it or have have, have, have had a sh uh, shown a real interest in in it but they typically just they look at it and go oh it's a wound just try this cream or whatever. So yeah. um, you'll find that there are some real challenges for actually supporting people with wounds in Australia and particularly in residential aged care facilities. So at Covia, we've recently applied for an MRFF grant, which is a government grant, a research grant. And we've gotten together a, a group of people from University of Sydney, from the CSIRO, from UTS and several aged care facilities, both private and, and uh, 
Australian Unity uh, and facilities from a, from a PHN. And we've gotten them all together and said, look, let's try and attack this problem with technology. We're going to create an algorithm, uh, artificial intelligence based algorithm that does a similar thing to the range of motion that we talked about earlier, but mm. it analyzes wounds. So it looks at a wound and it uh, analyzes the edges of the wound, it calculates the depth of the wound and the extent of the wound and what type of wound it is. It can start classifying what type of wound it is because it has been taught uh, and learned about all of these different types of wounds there are. And so it can actually help a clinician better analyze and diagnose what type of wound it is. Mm. And then from there on, we can actually give them like a help on, on identifying what to, to prescribe and what to do. And hopefully that will help clinicians be more comfortable with diagnosing wounds remotely and uh, through a video call and also give them tools uh, to provide a, a better quality of care as well. Mm, well. I could see that translating into fewer hospital admissions and, and fewer people leaving their homes now to, to get this medical care. That, that'd be transformative. It is. It is. It's a five-year project, so we won't have any results within five years. So it's a it's a pretty long-term project. But I do think that artificial intelligence is, is at the point where it can actually help us transform care massively, and we're willing to invest our time and money into bringing about some of that transformation. Mm. Well, let's let's book in the call for twenty twenty seven. We can we can check in <laughs> on the process of that. I'm wondering then, with you know. If that's what AI can do in this context and it can assess the depth and the scale and maybe the color and the type of wound, are we heading to a place where you know, medical professionals stay in their offices or their clinics and people are just calling in all the times so and we can get specialists from all over the world to assess everything? Is that kind of the future we're looking at or are we always going to need in-person appointments regularly? I think it's a matter of having a mix. I would not replace the personal connections. As I said, you know, sometimes a, a clinician just needs a, a look at you when you're walking in the door and knows more about you than, you know, than, than anything you can write in a big letter. So yeah. I, 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 would not, I would not replace one with the other. I just think that we're getting more diversity in how we get healthcare delivered. So more different options for us to do it. And particularly in areas where you have very limited number of options, rural and remote stands out, but also think about people that are that, that have a mental health issue and hardly ever leave their homes. Mm. Or think about older people that don't have family members that will take them to the next doctor's appointment. So people living in their homes and wanting to age at home. If we can provide them with care in a digital manner, then that just enables new opportunities of delivering care, better access to care for everybody. And that's where we're going. So yes, there will likely be clinicians that uh, will basically at the beginning of the day go and sit in front of a computer and do all of their consults through a computer at the end of the day, they get up and go home. Um, you mm. know, that, that kind of thing will definitely happen. But I don't think it will be the exclusive thing. Maybe hybrid care is what, what we call it. Maybe they will do this for half the day, do it with video calls with patients that they can't otherwise reach or they want to have a quick check-in. But then once every two months, they go and see them in person because it's better to hold up that personal connection through having a coffee together. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing each other in person is, is, is always a, a, a better way to build a personal relationship than through a video call. 
I mean, we've all learned through the pandemic that video calls are great and a great way to communicate, but we all also know that we sometimes need a real human to talk to, not just a human on a video screen. So I, I think the same applies to healthcare. Mm. Sylvia, this has been great. Before we wrap up, could you maybe point our listeners to where they can find out more about CoView and, and what we've been talking about today? Yeah, sure. CoView is a online platform, so just go to www.coview.com. Our blog is particularly interesting. So our blog talks about a lot of the more clinical use cases. We have several blogs about uses of telehealth in residential aged care or also in home care. We're writing clinical use cases continuously. So there'll be case studies that you can read about. So coview.com. Perfect. Well, Sylvia, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we hope you enjoyed this conversation. Don't forget that each Friday, we've got a fresh episode of our new show, Who Cares?, in which Daniela and Maury take another look at the ideas we've been discussing in today's episode and how they might affect all of us working in the aged care industry. It's fun, thought-provoking, and just a little bit silly. And the good news is it's all right here in the podcast feed. So you don't have to click anywhere else. But if you want to make sure you don't miss out, hit the subscribe button and you'll find out exactly when that episode is available. Anyway, we'll see you next week.